listening to Wake Up and Read the Labels, your guide to eating simple and feeling good. If you want to eat clean and feel your best, guess what? You're in the right place. Each week, we talk about ingredients that may be holding you back from feeling your best. We also talk to some brands that are going against the grain and actually using real ingredients we can recognize. Plus, we're sharing stories with people who are just like you, who actually woke up and read the labels. Welcome to Wake Up and Read the Labels podcast. I'm excited because what is a girl's night out for a Friday evening when work is finished for the week without a nice, refreshing glass of wine, right? You might be saying, oh, Jen, but I'm trying to eat clean and I'm trying to get healthy and I'm trying to combat my inflammation and my bloat and my fatigue. So I gave up wine, but it's all I think about every week. Well, we're going to be diving into wine labels why your wine potentially may be holding you back from feeling good, and what you should be looking for in your wine. I'm bringing on a guest today. His name's Todd White. He's the founder of Dry Farm Wines. Now, he's super passionate about educating people on what's inside of their wine, okay, and sharing this thing called natural wine in the world. Welcome, Todd. How are you? Awesome. Thanks for having me today. There is a lot to cover in 25 minutes. Okay, well, I got a question. You're out there, you know, sharing clean wine with the world. Have you always had this lifestyle about you? Were you always, you know, aware of cleaner ways to live and being healthy? Yeah, I mean, I've been on a sort of wellness and longevity journey for a long time, probably 40 years. But I became particularly really interested in it eight or 10 years ago. I've been doing eating one meal per day for the last eight years. I've been on a super low carb diet for many, many years beyond that. And yeah, so I've always been sort of for both sanity and vanity reasons, always pursuing the optimizing the human experience. And so that eventually led its way to my relationship with alcohol okay. and my relationship with wine. And so, you know, it's a little tricky because alcohol is actually a dangerous neurotoxin that surprises people to hear that from the wine guy saying, you know, alcohol is not healthy. Well, breaking news last couple of weeks all over the mainstream press, even modern drinking is not healthy. I don't disagree with that. I I think that ethyl alcohol is probably not healthy in any amount for humans at all, but that does not keep me from drinking it. You know, so, so it's a little tricky while I do want to avoid as many toxins as possible. And most wines that people are consuming are filled with toxins in addition to alcohol being a toxin. So what my goal is in the pursuit of these wines that we curate and procure and lab test and everything that we do, my goal is to minimize these nasty industrial additives that I'm putting in my body just the same way that I minimize these additives in processed food. Mm -hmm. But the difference in processed food and the difference in wine, see, wine gets treated very specially by the U.S. government in collusion with the wine industry. Wine gets carved off into this very special category. It's not even regulated by the FDA as is all other consumables. Wine is regulated by a taxing authority called the TTB. So the FDA makes no approvals over what goes into wine. But the big problem with wine as it compares to other processed foods is that there's no ingredients label and no int- nutritional information on a wine bottle. And this is an intentional act by the wine industry 
This is not an accident. The wine industry spends millions of dollars in lobby money in Washington, D.C., and their primary lobby group in Washington, the Wine Retailers Association, the Wine Manufacturers Association of America. Their main lobby, even though their website is publicly opposed to transparent labeling. And that's the reason there's not an ingredients label or nutritional information on a wine bottle because the industry doesn't want to do it. And their primary reason when you go to their lobby website where they publicly post that they're opposed to it is that they say there's not enough real estate on a wine bottle to display it. Now, we know that that's kind of rubbish, right? Yeah, like, come on. Actually, the sticker is only like 30. Actually, there's more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, we can make these stickers much bigger. We got room. Right. So the wine industry has a long history. And when I say the wine industry... Let's talk about what that means, because this Mm -hmm. is also the wine industry also confuses consumers. So you see what's happened in the wine industry, the same thing has happened in our food industry. Massive corporate consolidation fueled by Wall Street money. So here's the deal. The top three wine companies in the United States make 60 percent of all wine and the top 25 companies make 90 percent of the wines that you see on store shelves. So they trick you. They don't tell you that. They make it because they these 25 companies produce thousands of brands and labels, right? And so it might appear that you're drinking from a small family farm. And in fact, that's not true. You're drinking usually from massive factories located in Central California, where approximately 90% of U.S. wines are made. So this all has, yes, it's about money and greed. And so when I decided to stop drinking these toxins and poisons, again, accepting the fact that alcohol is also toxic and poisonous, mm-hmm. but I kind of like alcohol. I love drinking wine. And I mean, in a perfect world, maybe I wouldn't drink at all, but that's not really where my headspace is because I love drinking wine. I love drinking wine around the dinner table. I love celebrating. I love having fun. I love laughing. I love banter with my friends. I love getting high. And so... I just want to do it in the most optimal way possible, meaning that I want to drink. Now, in the biohacking community, people say, or in the health community, people might would say, well, why don't you drink tequila? I mean, it's, it's pure. It's distilled. I don't disagree with that. My problem with tequila is it's 45% alcohol, and alcohol is another one of the toxins I'm trying to avoid. And so that's the reason we only drink and sell lower alcohol wines. Right. So most of the wines I drink are nine to 11 percent alcohol. Industry average is around 15 percent. That doesn't sound like a big difference, but it's actually a huge difference in terms of the way you feel and the negative impact or remnants from the effects of alcohol that you have. But since we have a limited amount of time, let me focus in on these 76 additives. That's what I was going to bring up. All right. What are these additives in the wine? Or if somebody is is getting their bottle of wine. How do they know if their wine does or does not have additives? Well, they can almost assuredly be certain that most all wines contain additives. All conventional wines contain additives. The question is, what do they contain and how much? Mm -hmm. And the answer is you don't know because there's no transparent labeling. Now, look, this is not new, this labeling. I'm going to get to to the 76 additives in a moment. This transparent labeling issue is not new. 19 years ago, 19 years ago, a nonprofit in Washington, D.C. filed a petition with the Treasury Department, which is the, the department that oversees the TTB, which oversees the regulation of wine. 
They filed a petition, 16-page scientifically cited petition, 19 years ago, encouraging the adoption of regulations around transparent labeling on wine bottles. That petition sat dormant, crushed by industry influence for 19 years until last October, October of 22. This nonprofit, which is called the Center for Science and Public Interest, CSPI, in Washington, which is also the organization that was responsible for getting no sugar added on processed foods. And they've had a whole bunch of success in, in getting nutritional labeling information regulated through Congress. But for 19 years, this petition set crushed by industry influence until last October, CSPI filed a federal lawsuit against the Treasury Department. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to get labeling transparency. It's just the beginning of the process. Mm -hmm. But this is not a new idea. And the wine industry has had a very simple explanation for all of this, which we'll get to in a moment. It's not an explanation you're going to like. It's pretty shocking, but they have an explanation for all this. And they've made that explanation public several times, including a 2015 lawsuit where 85 wine companies in California were cited for having arsenic levels in wine up to five times the amount of arsenic that is allowed in drinking water. So all of what I'm telling you, by the way, is all verifiable by a Google search, or you can go to our website where you'll see all the scientific sites and government documents already put together for you so you don't have to do as much work. These figures are, and the information I'm giving you is so shocking and will wake you up that it's kind of hard to believe that all of this has gone on and nobody but me has exposed it, making me, I might add, public enemy number one to the wine industry. But let's talk about the additives real quickly, and then we'll come back to the industry's response to all this. The additives are, there are 76 additives that are legally approved for the use in winemaking. Some of them are natural. Many of them are not. So let's talk about what they are. Okay. Well, rather than go down the list, let me tell you what they are. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm about to tell you comes from both the National Institutes of Health, which is a government agency that has a subdivision called PubChem. PubChem is the public database where chemicals are classified and categorized by the U.S. government. That's a subsidiary of the National Institutes of Health, the NIH, and also from the World Health Organization. But from the NIH, of the 76 additives, two of them are considered acute toxins. An acute toxin has a clinical definition. That clinical definition is one or multiple doses in a 24-hour period could lead to death. No. <laughs> yeah, charming, right? Yeah. That's the clinical definition of an acute toxin. So two of the additives are acute toxins, including the most dangerous of all the additives is one of the two acute toxins. Twelve of them are classified as health hazards by the NIH. Four of them are derived from six different animal organs by law. Those animal organs include cow stomach or pig pancreas and others. Eight of them are derived from black molds, including an ochratoxin A. And we'll get back to mold if we have time and the ochratoxin A that may be in your wine. That's a separate issue that comes from both farming practices. These additives are part of the problem, but an even... An equivalent part of the problem is the farming practices. So again, what I'm about to tell you, all of this is factual. You can find it on our website with all the 
cited with hundred. We have over a hundred science sites to back up all everything I'm telling you. A bigger problem or an equivalent problem is farming. So only 5% of vineyards in the world are organically farmed. And in California, it's only 4% are organically farmed. So meaning in the United States, and we don't sell domestic wine, by the way, because there are no wines that meet our criteria for purity. And so all of our wines come from abroad. But that means in California, in the United States, 96% of vineyards are farmed with chemicals. Now, the problem with that is that on the dirty dozen list of vegetables and fruits, which is a commonly annually published list, on the dirty dozen list, grapes are number six of all fruits and vegetables that harboring contain the highest amounts of residual herbicide and pesticides. And so, and glyphosate has, and, and arsenic and other chemicals have been commonly found in U.S. wines. Mm-hmm. There have been a number of studies on this. I don't want to drink glyphosate in any amount. So the wine industry's response to all of the above that I just told you, their response is these chemicals are not high enough to be harmful to you. Right. But they're in the gray area, meaning there's so many studies that show like chronic diseases and different things that we're seeing pop up in our health could be tied to more exposure to these things. Right. And then there's other studies that show, oh, no, this is all safe. And it's like, hey, Why don't we just not sit in the gray area and go with, okay, there are studies showing this isn't safe. So let's, let's avoid it when we can, because there are cleaner options, right? Well, my response, the wine industry's response, and they've had this response several times publicly throughout the years is one, we are compliant with all federal regulations on disclosure. Guess what? There are none. Mm -hmm. So yes, that's a true statement. And then number two Again, the doses and the poison, these amounts are not harmful enough to be a safety risk for you. Well, my response to that is quite simple. If there's an option for me to drink a natural wine that's additive-free and organically farmed, I'll take that option. Guess what? I also feel better drinking. Yeah. Not only do I feel better about it, I feel better. My health feels better. My body feels better. My brain feels better from drinking a low-alcohol natural wine that doesn't contain any chemicals from farming and doesn't contain any of these nasty toxic additives. And so if given a choice, then I'm going to take that choice that gives me a healthier, better outcome, irrespective of whatever science you want to show me that these chemicals are safe. Mm -hmm. So that's, if you prefer to drink spirits, I think you should drink a distilled clear spirit, ideally tequilas made made from a plant. Vodka would be probably second. But I don't drink spirits because of my relationship with alcohol. I don't want to consume 45% alcohol liquid, right? It just, I don't like the taste of it anymore. I also don't like the effect I get from drinking spirits. Because again, I'm trying to avoid the toxicity. I'm trying to minimize the toxicity of alcohol. You know, so the wine industry comes at me all the time. They're like, you know, well, alcohol is toxic too. It's like, yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah. What I'm trying to do is avoid, I'm trying to make better choices that enable me to live a healthier life and have a more optimized experience while I still choose to drink. Exactly. And that's what we do here at Wake Up as well. It's like, hey, listen, we're letting you know, you don't have to restrict yourself from any food group or 
again, wine or alcohol, like let's all come together and become educated and aware on how you should be choosing your wine, right? How you should be choosing your spirit if you're going to do it, how you should choose your ice cream or your red sauce, all these things. Where does the name dry farm come from? Well, dry farming means no irrigation. So we have a very stringent certification called the dry farm wine certification. Okay. And it's over and above just being natural. Natural is the foundation. But then we also don't allow the irrigation of any of our grapevines. So irrigation didn't come to grape farming until the 1970s. And worldwide, it's not widely practiced, but it is almost ubiquitously practiced in the United States because it's cheaper and more profitable to farm with irrigation. So in the farming that we work with around the world, our restriction of the use of irrigation saves over a billion gallons of water a year. So dry farming simply means farming without irrigation. In addition to other things that we care about, we care about that wine is sugar-free. This is not not all natural wines, and I'll tell you what a natural wine is in a moment. Not all natural wines are sugar-free, but that's a requirement we have. And so we lab test every wine to ensure that it's sugar-free. The only way to know if a wine is sugar-free is to lab test. You can't always taste the sugar because of the acid levels in wine. Even as a taste professional, I can't always taste it, but we can see it on a lab result. So that's the reason we lab test every wine. We're also looking for making certain that we have very low levels of sulfites. Now, sulfites are naturally occurring in anything that's fermented. And so no wine is sulfite-free. The question is, was sulfur dioxide added to the wine as a sterilizer and a preservative? And it is in all commercial wines. And so the U.S. legal limit for sulfites or sulfur in wine is 350 parts per million. Our average wine tests out at 32 parts per million, a tenth of the legal limit. And those are naturally occurring sulfites. That's outstanding. And then we also test for alcohol. Another collusion between the wine industry and and the government is that the alcohol stated on a wine bottle by law is not required to be accurate. No reason to get into the reason for that. It could be changed now, but it just eats up a bunch of time to tell you why that law, which was written in the 1940s, kind of worked then, but it's not necessary now. But wine industry doesn't want to change for a couple of different reasons. The main reason is the higher the alcohol in the wine, the higher the federal excise tax the company pays. In a recent study five years ago, a consumer rights group did an analysis of this issue and found that 69% of domestic wines understated the amount of alcohol that was in the bottle. And so, again, another site that's on our long list of over 100 science incredible third-party sites that you can find on our website about these topics. But so, since I'm concerned about alcohol, I think it's a dangerous drug. And it ruins millions of lives every year. And if you don't drink now, I'm not suggesting that you do start. If you've had to stop drinking wine because of adverse effects, you might try drinking a natural wine that's sugar-free and lower alcohol, and you may find a different effect. But I'm not here to promote drinking. I'm simply saying if you do choose to drink, as I do, and I drink a bottle of wine most every day, I don't have some rules around that. I don't drink during the daytime. Don't suggest that you do either. I don't drink on an empty stomach, even though I eat once per day and be sure that I eat. And then I don't drink wine when I'm on an extended water fast, which I do typically every 45 or 60 days. But other than that, I drink every day at dinner with my friends because I like to have a big time. I'm a lot of fun. (laughs) 
I mean, I'm not the richest guy in the room. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I'm probably the guy who's had the most fun. There you go. You're the wine guy. You're the dry farm guy. I love having fun. I love drinking wine, right? But again, I want to be thoughtful about that because I want to be able to manage. And for all regular wine drinkers, 80 million of us in the United States, I want to be able to manage sensibly my relationship with alcohol. Mm -hmm. And if I don't do that, I'm going to have to stop drinking, as I recommend anybody else who can't manage their relationship with addictive consumables, right? Then you need to stop. My goal was to educate people about how to be thoughtful, what I call conscious consumption. Okay. Tell me this. What are, and maybe I would be safe to say that to assume if someone's drinking wines that have all these additives and these added sugars and extra sulfites added, these preservatives, what are the symptoms they will be seeing so that they can know, oh, my wine probably isn't clean? Well, there's a number of them. I'm familiar with them because if I drink a conventional wine, which I don't do, but if I were, I think last time was maybe three or four years ago on an airplane. So there's a few things. There'll be a little tightness in the frontal lobe. You can get responses similar to a histamine allergy. So puffiness, flushness, flushness, redness, wheezy. There can be, I will feel it. I get a headache from it fairly immediately. <laughs> yep. And it feels like there's like everything just changed, right? There's a heaviness about it. I mean, on the brain, mm-hmm. you can feel it. Mm-hmm. You can smell it, actually. I'm a taste expert. And, you know, more than half of the wine experience is the aromatic. Mm-hmm. So I can smell these additives and chemicals in wine. And if you get away from drinking these conventional wines and you start drinking natural wine, then that's additive-free and organically farmed. And you'll be able to go back and when, after a week or two even, and you drink a conventional wine again, you'll feel a vast difference. And if you're sensitive enough to it, you'll be able to smell it. Right. The aromatics of the wine will be very different from a natural wine. Yeah. I know a lot of a lot of customers of ours, our clients, they'll come in and say, you know, now that I'm over 40 years old, when I drink alcohol or I drink wine, specifically wine, they say, I get a headache or my rings are really tight. I get swelling under my eyes. I have such a headache the next day and they blame it on them getting older. That's what I thought too. That's what right. led me to this journey is I'm 62 now, but this started when I was in my 50s, my mid 50s, mm-hmm. and I couldn't drink anymore. And I thought it was the alcohol. So I blamed it on alcohol. So I started looking for lower alcohol wines. And that's how this journey, I, Dry Farm Wines wasn't, wasn't concepted as a business. I was trying to find a better way to drink. I wanted to continue to drink. I stopped drinking for a while, not long, a period I call suffering through sobriety because I like drinking. And, you know, so yeah. this was a disco- an accidental discovery that became an accidental business. And then when I started sharing these wines with friends, they're like, oh, wow, this tastes better. Mm -hmm. I feel better. I can drink more. This is like terrific. Where do you get these? And I'm like, well, you can't. Yeah. Right? Because there's no labeling. There's no, you don't know. Right. You know, and and natural wines eight years ago when I started this company were little known. Today, natural wines are fairly topical and very buzzy in the hipster community and in urban areas. And, you know, if you live in a major city, you could probably find a natural wine bar or restaurant or, but for most people in the U.S., they just don't have access to natural wines because 
they're not well distributed. And we don't sell to restaurants or retailers. The only way to get our wine is buy it directly from us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was really just a mission, our mission to educate and to share. Yes, I, you know, the wine industry also says, this is another thing I think is super funny. They say, oh, this guy, he's just full of BS. I mean, he's just like, you know, trying to get you to buy his wine. And I say, sure, I want you to buy wine for me. Of course, I'm, that's how I earn a living. Right. I'm lucky enough to make a decent living selling great wine. Yeah. Sure. I want you to buy wine, but that's not what this is about for me. What this is about for me is if you're a regular wine drinker like me, you need to know this information and you need this experience in order to improve your life. And I happen to get paid a decent living for doing that. But what's more important to me is to help people like me be able to enjoy wine and have a better experience from it. Okay. Tell me this, Todd, you said you're a taste expert. And I know when I go to a restaurant and there's a sommelier and they come out and they explain, you know, what wine tastes like what and smells like what, and you can see and feel all these different flavors. I'm just like, oh my God, take me there. I want that all day. Why don't you go ahead and describe what a dry farm natural wine tastes like? You can pick any one, but let's go. Well, they all taste similar in this respect. Now, every single wine and varietal and the color of wine is going to have various aspects. You know, in white wines, you're going to find minerality. Mm-hmm. Well, in all, all wines, you'll find minerality, but in white wines especially, because they don't have the tannins and the other components of red wine will, you know, you'll have a, a more pronounced minerality, or maybe you'll have a stone fruit or white flower, this kind of thing. The Taste dynamics of wine are fairly specified, and you know there are probably twenty leading attributes of aromatics or taste in wine that are going to be across different varietals. But the thing is, they're fairly well known among taste professionals. And if you were smelling a wine right now, and I were smelling it with you, I would tell you what you smell, and you would smell it for two reasons. One, I just told you, right? And so there's the power of suggestion and A, it's there. But the power of suggestion is very strong when somebody walks you through a taste experience. But here's what's unique about natural wines and different from conventional wines. They taste wholesome. They feel wholesome. They taste natural. Wines don't taste natural once you taste a natural wine Natural wines taste honest. And when I say wholesome, let me give you this example, because this is really, I I love this. When you go to the farmer's market, right, and you see fruits and vegetables, and they are teeming with color and life and energy. Sometimes you just want to take a picture of them. They're so beautiful. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. See, that's what a natural wine is like, because all these wines are grown by small family farms, just like the kind of vegetable and fruit farmers you find at the farmer's market. These are small, small, small family farms that put the love and spirit and energy into living soils that produce these fruits and vegetables, or in my case, wines. But let's go back to the fruits and vegetables at the farmer's market that you want to take pictures of. That's not just because they're organic, because you don't see the organic produce at your grocery store, like at Whole Foods. It doesn't look like what it looks like at the farmer's market. Why? Because it doesn't have that love of that small family farm who is nourishing a living soil. It's what I call industrial organic. 
It's still organic, but it's just done on industrial scale. And that's not the same as the love that a, that a small family farm puts into its living soil. That's the reason the fruits and vegetables of the farmer's market look the way they do. And you can look at the farmers and you know those hippies are just cool, right? They're just like, those hippies are just like, they're dedicated to what they do. They don't do it for money. They do it for love. And quality. For a love of craft. Yeah. Right? And that's the way natural wines are made. That wholesomeness is what you taste. It tastes wholesome. It has a spiritual energy to it because it came from a place of heart and love, the same as the fruit and vegetables you see at the farmer's market. Beautiful. Thank you, Todd. I love it. So for everybody listening, you can head over to dryfarmwines.com slash wake up. We'll also link it at the bottom. Get the wine shipped straight to your door. The beautiful thing is that you don't have to spend tons of time on trial and error trying to figure out if the wine you're buying is natural and if it is organic and if it's tested for the additives and those extra sulfites and all of the things we don't want in our wine. You can just head on over to Dry Farm and know all the wine you're getting is exactly like Todd said. It's got love and energy, living soil coming from those small family farms, and it's wholesome. Todd, do you have anything else you want to close out with today? Thank you for having me. Of course. Of course, we're going to have to have a happy hour session. We'll do part two, drinking some dry farm and talking about it. What do you think? Nice. Great idea. Yeah. It's got to be after you have your meal, though, and in the afternoon. For sure. I'm with you 100%. All right, Todd, we'll talk soon. And thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wake Up and Read the Labels. If you like this episode, guess what? We want you to share it. We'd love that. Share it with a friend and leave us a review. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or really wherever you're listening to your podcast. For more information, visit us at wakeupandreadthelabels.com. Wake Up and Read the Labels.